Recorded live. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Our church is legally required to give a receipt for online donations. On behalf of the Christian Law Association, that's attorney David Gibbs Jr. And this is the Legal Alert. A church had a radio ministry and would make the broadcasts available online. When updating their website, they considered adding a tab that would allow people to make an optional donation for the broadcast, but they were not sure what was legally necessary. A Christian Law Association attorney explained that the church is not legally required to give a receipt for donations, but most do as a courtesy to the contributors. The church is required to keep a record of all contributions, including online donations. The attorney suggested that an electronic receipt be given to the donor at the time of any online donation. Maybe you're facing a legal issue similar to today's report on the legal alert, and maybe you wish you had a legal team to assist you. You do. The Christian Law Association is standing by with free legal support. Visit ChristianLaw.org to link up with us. That's ChristianLaw.org. Or call us toll free at 888-252-1969. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable. But how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. This is Morning Inspiration with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Yeah. 
Psalm 123. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of a mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God, until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud.
And what they've really taught me is the importance of relationships, particularly between older and younger generations. And so we have that wonderful dynamic. It's, it's a mentoring, but it goes both ways. I was talking to an older woman just the other day after the service, and this little toddler came up to her, and she said, what I love about this church is I have friends of all ages. <laughs> and the older woman smiled and said, that's what I love about it, too. That's been incredibly inspiring for me. You are active in the Dublin Ministerial Association and in other ways in the community. What do you appreciate about living and serving in that community? When I think of our community, the farmer poet Wendell Berry often comes to mind, particularly this line. He says, the art of going is coming home before dark. And it's a community that, that values where they are and who is around them. There's, as I said before, there's a deep sense of rootedness there. I also want to say, however, that it's not a kind of inflexibility that is sometimes associated uh, with rural communities. I think, rather, because they are so rooted, they can actually be more open to change. You said that one of the books you've written, Take My Hand, is something of a love letter to the church you serve. I really like the format for the book. Tell us why and how you put that book together and, and what you hope to say through it. So each chapter includes a sermon that I did preach at New Dublin Presbyterian Church. And I also, my first year of ministry, kept a journal. And so I started noticing the connections between what I was preaching about and those that I was with on a daily basis. And so what the book hopes to do is show how a sermon is a conversation between a biblical text and also a life in, in community. Mm -hmm. So it was a great joy to write that book. I, I really do think of it as a love letter. Um, it's. I think the other hope is that it will paint a picture of a, a rural congregation, a smaller church, in a very positive light, which is perhaps not a message that we always hear. You've also written a book on the parables of Jesus with something of a twist. It's called Parables of Parenthood, Interpreting the Gospels with Family. It's a very personal and intimate and yet biblical look at the stories Jesus told. Why did you take this approach to understanding these stories? One of my favorite ways to interpret a parable is to notice how the gospel writers interpret it. So particularly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find a similar parable that's really used in a different way because of, I think, the community that they were talking to. And so perhaps they make little changes or perhaps they put it uh, in a context with other um, examples of Jesus' teaching in order to highlight and so I started thinking about that and noticing the differences. And then thinking about my own life, which was undergoing the great joy of having our firstborn child come into this world and all that I was learning from being a father and being a husband and living in a community of faith. And so different parts of the, the parable spoke to me in ways that perhaps they wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that's the, the true gem of Jesus' teaching, is that it invites that, that kind of response. So the hope of, of that book is um, that it will have a, a much 
broader application than, than those, not merely to just first-time parents, mm -hmm. but that it will encourage other people to take the kind of knowledge of biblical interpretation and be able to readily apply that to their own life experience. Well, your sermon today is based on the gospel text for this Sunday from Mark chapter 3. Would you read it for us? Absolutely. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to Jesus and called him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is kind of a sad account in some ways. You can kind of picture in your mind Jesus' family members standing there. And yet just a few verses earlier in verse 21, Mark reports that his family sought to restrain Jesus because they thought he'd gone mad. What do you make of this exchange? You know, Peter, in one of your books, Living Love, you have a beautiful reflection about Jesus from the cross and John that exchange between his mother and the beloved disciple. And I think that you're absolutely right that the call here is for us to open up our circle of faith, to include people in our family of faith um, that are not just related to us through blood, but through belief. And so I, I think, I suspect that's what Mark is doing too, but it's, it's harsher than his gospel. And that's what I, I really picked up on. It's, it's harsher because he seems to have, you know, his whole life ahead of him. And that made me think about what it's like to be a parent and, and to raise a child and that constant tension um, between, yes, you want them to grow up and become independent, but no, not really. <laughs> I mean, there's a refrain that I hear often, is, oh, they grow up so fast. And that's a reflection, I think, of that difficulty that we have as parents. So that's what I was drawn to in the text. And what does that mean, then, for a community of faith in a similar dynamic? Andrew, we look forward to hearing your sermon, Go Church Go. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. It's been a great pleasure. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Andrew Taylor Troutman's sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. In Brian Doyle's family, you were allowed to take the train alone from Long Island into New York City only after your 12th birthday. Brian sought to make this pilgrimage to pay homage to his beloved basketball team, the Knicks, in that great cathedral known as Madison Square Garden. But before he could leave, he was compelled to wait, fidgeting in the threshold of his front door, impatiently shifting his weight from one foot to the other as his mother fiddled with his jacket collar in a way most unlike her. Stalling, holding on, his mother reviewed details already covered, giving him last-minute advice 
he already knew. I can't believe you're 12, she said, in between checking and rechecking him for hat and mittens and an extra pair of eyeglasses. One minute ago, you were four and talking to the birds. Make us proud of your behavior. You need a new winter coat. Don't forget to call. Are you really 12? You better stop fiddling about and get to the station. I will assume that you have a clean handkerchief. Go. And she sighed. Go. Decades later, Brian Doyle remembered this as the dividing line between being a boy and being something else on the way to becoming a man. My own son is about two and a half years old, and he talks to the birds, wishing them a cheery, hi, birdie, tweet, tweet, on our daily walks. On his own, he reaches up to grasp his mother's hand when journeying into new places. And he asks for both hands, both hands, before careening down the big slide at our church's playground. But someday probably sooner than I'm ready. He'll be poised to head off on his own, making a pilgrimage to his dream. And my son comes to me, bright-eyed and hopeful. Will I listen to the earnest desire of his great, big, God-given heart? I know there comes a point when every caregiver must say, Go. My own son could make this inevitable separation less painful if he was polite and courteous, patiently standing, stock still, enduring my anxiety as I fiddle with his collar and humoring me as I remind him of things he's already heard and indeed already knows. Might my son take steps on the way towards becoming a man with kindness and care for his old man Surely that is the ideal, which begs another question. How could Jesus talk like that to his mother? While Matthew and Luke include a similar scene, Mark alone pulls back the privacy curtain and allows a glimpse into the family dynamics, including the rationale of Mother Mary. Jesus has already begun his pilgrimage, sharing his great big God-given heart and proclaiming the good news through preaching, teaching, and healing. But in verse 21, Mary, along with her other children, marches toward Jesus in order to restrain him. She's not merely attempting to stall the inevitable separation of child from parent. Restrain. It's the same verb used to describe those who lay hands on Jesus in order to arrest him. Why does his family want to shut down his ministry? At the beginning of this chapter, we learned how the religious and political leaders were already concocting plans to kill Jesus. He had become a wanted man provoking the powerful authorities to dangerous retaliation. His family, then, 
was staging an intervention. They were trying to save his life. His mother stood outside the house and called Jesus, believing she was beckoning him to a place of love. So then, how could Jesus talk to his mother like that? Despite their understandable, even noble intentions, Jesus does not need his mother to save him. Jesus is the Savior, the Savior of the world. He intervenes on his family's behalf, not the other way around. He intervenes on our behalf, too. Even if his sharp retort sounds jarring to our ears, perhaps we could listen deeper. And here's something else. Every caregiver knows the goal is to allow children to grow up in order that they can become all God has called them to be. Yet every caregiver also knows it is much easier to declare no than sigh, go. It seems to me that restraint describes our fear which under the guise of good intentions may well be in opposition to faith. Such fear confronts not only parents, but also churches, particularly those we might call mainline, probably those who listen to day one broadcasts. Now, I do not wish to sound rude, like I was back-talking my mother church, but let's be honest. All across our country, there are towering steeples that loom over increasingly smaller congregations. And there are many churches about the size of mine which are precariously close to closing their doors for good. But at the same time, there are young people today who are poised excitedly in the threshold, ready to head off into the world, their hearts set on pursuing their God-given vocation. And like Jesus taught, this millennial generation values action, the doing of the will of God. They do not want to be told. They want to experience. They want to go. But too often, the mainline church has stood apart, curtly demanding that they come to us We're your family, we cry. We know what's best for you. Or perhaps we've even tried to restrain them, preventing them from acting in ways we believe are different, abnormal, even dangerous. We think we are intervening on their behalf, don't we? Yet if we listen more closely, we could hear the fear in our own voices. We are scared for the future. We are terrified our churches will fail. You know what? Maybe that fear is justified. Perhaps the church will never be the same again. Maybe that former way of being church is coming to an end. How much more important then to lift our great big God-given hearts and remember that resurrection comes only after death and that the life-giving Spirit of God cannot be restrained. Such faith, we might discuss.
discover that in the word go, there's not only fear, but also freedom. Not just for young people, either. Shortly after I became pastor, I came to learn how a certain director of graduate admission at a veterinary school removed her horn-rimmed spectacles and dropped them unceremoniously upon the application lying before her and then fixed the young woman nervously seated across from her large oak desk with a patronizing look. Perhaps, she began, you would best be served by considering a different career path. Later that day, this young woman would be found wailing inconsolably in a puddle of heartbrokenness on the tile floor of her childhood bathroom. But in that moment, she maintained her composure, though her nostrils flared involuntarily with a sharp exhale of anger. Not unlike certain large animals, She'd been around her whole life. She'd grown up on a farm with a true love of horses. She'd learned the difference between Appaloosa and Andalusian when most children her age were distinguishing household pets. And she had memorized her A.B. Clydesdales. Her passion was not just a child's infatuation, but the deep and abiding focus that accompanies the truest calling. She'd always had that way with these animals, that touch, that whisper, that look. She always had that gift, which coaxes quiet, appreciative smiles from those in the know. Growing up, she drew plenty of these reactions from men and women in her church, some of the same people who pretended not to notice when she tracked mud from her riding boots into the sanctuary or read a horse magazine behind her Bible throughout the Sunday school hour. And upon learning about the rejection from the veterinary school, these same folks did not try and protect her, glossing over the stinging truth. They did not attempt to hold her in another safer, more realistic vision for her life. Rather, the parental figures in her church reminded her of the many other times they'd seen her fall off only to get back up again. These are the very same people who now take great delight in retelling that day in the admissions office. Now that she has graduated at the top of her class from that very same veterinary school, and now that she secured a postdoc surgical residency at an Ivy League university, they have loved to sidle up to her and ask if she might best be served by considering a different career path. Oh, how they love to do that. Yes, they love to tell this story, because even when her path was unclear, they had the courage in themselves to hold faith in her. Even now, when the road leads out of town, they love to see her galloping ahead, moving unrestrained into 
her bright dream. Most of all, they love that young woman and trust she carries something of them into her future. As she crosses the dividing line between being a girl and being something else on the way to becoming all God would have her to be, the brave saints in her mother church freely and faithfully say, Go, go. Sherry Miller. This year, Day One celebrates its 70th anniversary. Since our founding as the Protestant Hour in 1945, we've not missed one weekly broadcast. Today, Day One is distributed to over 200 stations nationwide and in a dozen other countries. Through this ministry, America's most accomplished ministers have preached more than 3,600 sermons, reaching millions of listeners with the good news of God's love. We simply couldn't achieve this without the financial support that you and other loyal listeners provide. Broadcasting with such quality and impact every week for 70 years is an amazing accomplishment, and we're reaching more people than ever. But for this ministry to continue, we need your prayers and your financial support. Please, give generously so that Day One can continue to proclaim the good news on the radio and online in the years ahead. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's 27...
probably had in the back of her mind that she, maybe she needed to let go of that dream. But she had people there that were around her um, that offered a different narrative. And at the same time, I think it was easier for them to let her live into that dream because they had each other as a support. Because they all saw the same things in her. They could confirm what they felt in, in the experience of other people in their community. You also wondered how Jesus could speak to his mother like that, but help us realize that she and his siblings were probably saying no to Jesus out of a place of love and perhaps of fear. You said every caregiver knows it's much easier to say no than go. And we do that also with our churches, many of which try to maintain the status quo and the world around them is changing dramatically. How do you think we should foster conversations about this kind of change in our churches? You know, I think the great allure of the word no is that it offers the illusion of control. I mean, it's a very definitive boundary. No, we're not going to do that. How then, in thinking about this dynamic um, between seeking to become all that God has called us to be, how can we change that into more of an inviting question? And that's difficult. I, I don't think it takes place overnight. I think it mm-hmm. takes place among communities that regularly practice listening to one another, trusting one another. And I want to say that it is a development in spiritual maturity. I'm reminded of Richard Rohr, who talks about the second half of life Mm -hmm. and how he knows certain people who have what he calls a bright sadness to them. Mm -hmm. It's because they know things are changing, and that often involves pain and grief, and yet they see the value in it. Maybe using language like that, inviting people to consider that, yes, you know, it's okay to be sad. And yet, what else is happening to Andrew Taylor Troutman, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. It's been a great joy. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is Ann Graham Lott with Daily Light for Daily Living. As the runners flew around the track in the Summer Olympics of 1992, one pulled up on the backstretch and limped to a stop. He pulled a hamstring. As the crowd stood, a man ran out of the stands for the young athlete. The microphones picked up the runner's words. Dad, you've got to help me across the finish line. I've trained all my life for this race. The father put his arm around his son, and together they limped across the finish line to a standing ovation. In John 14:16, Jesus promises, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Think about it. In this race of life, when you think you can't go one more step, you can. The Holy Spirit will wrap his everlasting arms around you. He will walk with you. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Communities improve. The path to success starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor, or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. between 
between Paul, salvation which is by faith alone, and James, salvation which is by faith plus works. Paul dogmatically says that justification is by faith alone, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, while James appears to be saying that justification is by faith plus works. This apparent problem is answered by examining what exactly James is talking about. James is refuting the belief that a person can have faith without producing any good works. James 2, verses 17 and 18. James is emphasizing the point that genuine faith in Christ will produce a changed life and good works. James 2, verses 20 through 26. James is not saying that justification is by faith plus works, but rather that a person who is truly justified by faith will have good works in his or her life. If a person claims to be a believer but has no good works in his or her life, then he or she likely does not have genuine faith in Christ. James 2, verses 14, 20, and 26. Paul says the same thing in his writings. The good fruit believers should have in their lives is listed in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Immediately after telling us that we are saved by faith, not works, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul informs us that we are created to do good works, verse 10. Paul expects just as much of a changed life as James does. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. James and Paul do not disagree in their teaching regarding salvation. They approach the same subject from different perspectives. Paul simply emphasized that justification is by faith alone, while James put emphasis on the fact that genuine faith in Christ produces good works. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions. Online at gotquestions.org. You're listening to the Tram Radio Network Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the ICAP. And just to be clear, no inheritance, right? Harry's career had gone, well, all right. Not every promotion had come through, but he was always willing to learn. Then, nearing retirement, Harry was asked to mentor a sharp young employee new to the department. Harry couldn't help it. He detected the assignment. Mentor this young man? Support him? No, sir. Harry had earned his stripes. Now help some hotshot outdistance him. Resentment boiled, but Harry had no choice. He made himself talk with a newcomer. And to his surprise, the hotshot listened. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Lady Lodge. Harry spent the first part of his career learning. Then he discovered that in sharing his wisdom, everyone came out ahead in the high of our daily work.
please, in prayer. Pray with me, Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that put you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way. There is no other message. For there is no other way.